Welcome to Biblical Tapestry, Season 6, Episode 19, A Study in the Book of Jeremiah. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the Gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. In this episode in Chapter 12, we see Jeremiah beginning to question his ministry and God's attention to him and what's going on around and the message. In other words, Jeremiah's humanity is exposed. He is distracted and questioning his calling. So we have the question in front of us, is questioning God ever justified? All right, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. We'll go ahead and read the uh, entire chapter today, and then we'll get into it. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beast and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. Now God answers Jeremiah, If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you complete, compete with horses? If And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, therefore I hate her. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? Are the birds of prey against her all around? Go assemble all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, destroyers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land. I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them again each to his heritage, and each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear to Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up, destroy it, declares the Lord. All right, back to verses 1 through 3. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, Yet I would plead my case before you. 
Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. Jeremiah asks a question that perhaps you have asked. Why do people, or wicked people, seem to prosper? Well, that's a good question. But let's briefly discuss if this is even an appropriate question to ask of God. Is complaining justified? Well, complaints are not excluded from Scripture. Others have asked the same question that Jeremiah is asking about the wicked. Jeremiah has many complaints in this book, and if you want to see more complaints from Jeremiah, read the book of Lamentations. One-third of that book are complaints. God seems to be allowing the human authors of Scripture to identify with us, the human readers. Look what David wrote in Psalm 13:1: How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I counsel in my soul? But take counsel in my soul, and have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? What David and Jeremiah will see is God is more concerned. Now understand this. God is more concerned about the ultimate than the immediate. God from creation had a plan to use Judah to bring bring about the Messiah. And that is the ultimate plan, to bring a Savior to the world, to justify believers in Christ. So we humans find it very easy to focus on the immediate and completely discount the ultimate, as Jeremiah needed to be reminded. So yes, we are free to complain, but you need to resolve that complaint through Scripture and perhaps change your perspective. So we have an honest complaint, and God will give an honest answer. Verse 12, uh, verse 1 once again. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Jeremiah is not questioning God's integrity by asking why the wicked prosper. But because of the righteousness of God, Jeremiah was finding it hard to reconcile God's righteousness with the fact that wickedness was continuing. And not only that, it was prospering. Verse 2 says, You plant them, and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Notice the complaint is stating that God has planted them. Well, indeed, wickedness took root. It grew. It produced fruit. But these people were outwardly religious. But God was very far from their hearts. That is still an issue for people today. So is it possible that God, who knew everything about Jeremiah, would not know the hearts of the wicked? Jeremiah is coming awful close to accusing God of not being fair here. Jeremiah had been ridiculed. He'd been threatened. He'd been tried. He had been rejected. But yet, why would the wicked continue to still thrive? Jeremiah stated that He knew what God needed to do with the wicked, and that was to pull them out like sheep to be slaughtered. That's a perfectly human response, to take vengeance. But what would God want from Jeremiah? Not vengeance, but forgiveness. It's not easy for the human experience to forgive. 
We want justice according to our sense of it anyway. David writes in Psalm 92, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. So God's unwillingness to destroy the wicked in Jeremiah's time frame has nothing to do with God's ability or lack of understanding. God knows everything. The issue is God's plan and God's timing, not ours or Jeremiah's. God told Jeremiah when he called him that this road he was going on was going to be a very tough one. And we may cringe a little at Jeremiah questioning the actions and timing of God, but God knows Jeremiah's heart. God knows what Jeremiah is thinking and what he's questioning. In verse 4, Jeremiah says, How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beast and the birds are swept away because he said he will not see our latter end. Jeremiah gives us some additional information that there was perhaps a drought in the land, which has often been the action of God's disfavor. The intent seems to be that others that were suffering because of the drought, but the wicked seemed to not be affected. And then we have this last line in verse 4. It says, he will, see, he will not see our latter end. What does that mean? Who is the he here? Well, there's different interpretations, but... It, I like what the New English Translation note says in its uh, translation. The referent is usually identified as God. That means the he. Some identify the referent with Jeremiah. If that is the case, then he returns to his complaint about the conspirators that we saw back in verse 11, chapter 11. It is more likely, however, that it is referring to God and Jeremiah's complaint that the people live their lives apart from any concern about God. He will not see us. So how does God respond to Jeremiah's question? Well, we pick up God's response in verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe place, in a safe land, you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them though they speak friendly words to you. It's interesting, you know, Jeremiah complains about the wicked, and God is not consoling Jeremiah in his response, nor is he telling him why the wicked continue to flourish. But he approaches Jeremiah with, how is he able to cope with difficulty? If he's not coping today with the difficulties of his ministry, how is Jeremiah going to handle things when they get really tough? If you cannot handle the persecution now, how will you handle the persecution that is coming? F.B. Huey writes in his commentary, colloquially, colloquially, I knew I was going to mess that up, colloquially, he was saying, cheer up, Jeremiah, the worst is yet to come. (laughs) Cheer up, Jeremiah, the worst is yet to come. If if he ran with men that would tire him, how how is he going to run with horses? Or if he cannot deal with the jungle thickets, the jungle thickness of the Jordan River or the side of the Jordan River. And if he stumbles on safe ground, you know, how's he going to deal with that? 
there may be a cost to serving God. In Luke 9.62, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Jeremiah, if he cannot solve his own issues today, how can he help others in their time of trouble? But God reminds Jeremiah that even in his own family, some of his own brothers dealt treacherously with him. Perhaps they were even involved in the plots against his life that we saw in chapter 11. God goes as far as even saying, do not trust those family members. In other words, Jeremiah, do not trust them, trust me. I got this, Jeremiah, and I got you. Trust me. In Isaiah 12, 2, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. God goes on in verse 7. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Well, God continues to speak here about the corporate responsibility of the nation of Judah. God indeed loves his people. He says, I've given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. But he was going to hand them over here to the enemies. God had forsaken his house. He had abandoned his inheritance, his heritage. He was going to rebuild Jerusalem. He was going to bring those back who will honor him. They were God's beloved in verse 8. And now God says he hates them because they lifted their voices against him. Now that may seem harsh, but discipline is as much in God's nature as love is for his people. In Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. God goes on in verse 9. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? Are the birds of prey against her all around? Go assemble all the wild beasts. Bring them to devour Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, destroyers have come. For the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. The Lord continues with a judgment pronouncement against Judah. The shepherds those in charge, those religious leaders who were supposed to help the people to know God and honor God had done nothing more than destroy the vineyard that represented Israel. The outcome of that destruction of the people's faith in God is tragic and it will result in desolation. The destroyers being the Babylonians or the Chaldeans were coming and they were representing the sword of God. No one is safe. Verse 13 says, They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Well, Judah was going to continue business as usual until the very bitter end. They planted grain, but they were reaping thorns. They tire themselves out with work, but they're going to profit nothing. All the effort will bring nothing but shame and poor harvests all showing God's displeasure 
and eventually they will realize that they brought this on themselves. It was their disobedience that caused this disaster. He had not planted the wicked, as Jeremiah asserted. He was about to uproot them. Verse 14. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them again each to his his heritage and each to his land. And And it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. The wicked neighbors of Judah are not going to be spared. This includes the invading nation of Babylon. It includes Syria, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. God is sovereign over all nations and has the right to judge them. And after God plucks Judah up from their land, God promises the return of his people. Even the surrounding nations can benefit from the mercy of God if they learn the ways of God's people and swear by God's name. This is even after they were the ones that brought Baal worship to Judah. But if any nation does not listen, then they will be destroyed. After the Babylonian conquest, some of these nations would never return. But God shows mercy on Israel and after 70 years of captivity, brings them back as a renewed and God-fearing nation. God has given humanity a freedom of choice. We are free to accept his lordship and be blessed or reject him and experience punishment. God is not only going to restore Israel and Jerusalem, but offers hope to all the nations, even the ones that persecuted his people. God is compassionate, even though Jeremiah himself was not feeling it at the moment. God's plan has always been to take those far from him and bring them close. God still offers salvation to everyone today, though through the blood of Christ shed on a cross of Calvary. Paul writes in Romans 10.8, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that you have that personal relationship with God. In our next episode 20, we'll divert to chapters 46 and 47, a judgment on Felicia and Egypt, because a great historical battle is about to take place that will make Babylon the world power at the time, the Battle of Karshemish. I hope you continue following season six as we continue to follow the career of Jeremiah and the historical accounts around his ministry. Biblical Tapestry is available on Facebook and Instagram, and I encourage you to please like and share this podcast if you have learned something new about God's Word. May God bless you this day.